Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Who doesn't love an appetizer? An appetizer is like a gratuitous gift. Uh, in the words of the comedian Jim Gaffigan, an appetizer is the food we eat before the food. Hmm. Or Garrison Keillor in Old Lake Wobegon sketch, he talks about how appetizers are great because it's the only time, in Lake Wobegon anyway, and perhaps in Arcadia, it's the only time we have food on the coffee table. Imagine that. Your dogs are also pleased when you have the food on the coffee table, incidentally. An appetizer is like a gratuitous gift. But make no mistake, it has purposes, right? Purpose of an appetizer is to whet your appetite. It signals to you that there's something special afoot, that the meal you're about to enjoy is something distinct and set apart. It gets you ready. It's a foretaste of the feast to come. That's what an appetizer is. And today, we have a kind of Easter appetizer in the story of the raising of Lazarus. And that raising points forward to the greater raising, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, which we'll celebrate just two weeks from now. And so to, to hear that story, it's just whetting our appetite for the celebration that we're going to have. But more than that, today's scriptures point to some of the resurrection appetizers that you and I enjoy now. Not just talking about our Lord's resurrection, but your resurrection and mine. The day when we will be raised out of our graves. There are already little tastes of that that we are privileged to enjoy now, in the present time. And as we await that future, we are given these four tastes. And I want to draw out three in particular from the scriptures today. We get an appetizer that is a picture, an appetizer that is a power, and an appetizer that is a presence. Those three. We'll start with the picture. Because I think for many of us, we wonder, what will the future look like? We're awaiting that future time and the resurrection of the dead, but what will it look like? I'm persuaded that for many believers, their hope is not as fervent as it could be because we just can't imagine it. Aristotle said that the human mind, the human soul, always thinks with a picture. If we don't have a picture, it can be hard for us to grasp it, to get our mind around it. And so to really long for it, to hope for it, what will it look like when we rise from the dead? So this is the first appetizer that we get this morning, a picture of that day. And the picture comes, of course, with the, the story of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus, by the time we get to today's gospel, he is dead and in the grave. In the immortal words of the King James translation, he stinketh. <laughs> he's, he's dead. He's already rotting in his tomb. But then Jesus comes. And to our Lord Jesus, you understand, death is no more of an obstacle or a hindrance than a Nerf gun is to a hungry lion, right? And so Christ Jesus roars aloud, Lazarus, come out! And then in John's just straightforward deadpan delivery, he says, then the man who was dead came out from his grave. Like, oh, yeah, well, like he would, right? 
Such is the power of our Lord's roaring. And for you and me, this is a picture of what it will look like on the day when you and I rise from the dead, when we are raised from our graves. Assuming, of course, that Jesus doesn't come before we die, which is, of course, a distinct possibility. But assuming he doesn't, what will it look like on that day? Then, as Revelation says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Christ Jesus will come and he will roar before your grave and mine. He will say, unbind him and let him go. Then on that day, the grave will not be able to hold you fast any longer. And like Ezekiel sees in his vision, bone will rattle against bone. The ligaments and the tendons will all be rewound. Our skin come back together and you will not come back just as a zombie. I know we have some zombie TV show fans in here. Understand that the resurrection does not mean that you are zombies. You are not undead. You are resurrected glorified, transformed our lowly bodies like unto his glorious body. And in that respect, we'll be different even than Lazarus. We get a, a, a picture of what our resurrection will look like, but it's just that, a picture. It doesn't put in all of the details because Lazarus, of course, he died again. But when you and I rise from the dead, even as our Lord Jesus rose from the dead, it will be in indestructible, incorruptible flesh, never to die again. That's the, the picture that we have of our own resurrection, the first appetizer that we have. But we don't just have a picture, see. We have a power. And that brings us to the second appetizer of resurrection that we get today. Our epistle reading from, from Romans has some of the sweetest, most succinct statements of the gospel. It's like those little Valentine hearts dropped from heaven for us here in that reading. It starts out this way. If you're into scripture memorization, these are great verses to learn by heart and to, to store up in your mind and memory. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. There's therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus, because now Jesus has come and said to you, unbind him and let him go. He says, to it, he says that word to us now in the absolution. He forgives us and he gives to us this resurrection power of his Holy Spirit, the spirit of life that dwells in you, it was given to you in your baptism. That spirit, even now, is chiseling away the old Adam, the old Eve, and making you into new creatures, making you more and more like your Lord Jesus. That's happening now, that powerful spirit. But the spirit is also a, a foretaste of the resurrection. It's the resurrection power. Paul says that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise your mortal bodies. And so to change the metaphor, elsewhere, St. Paul says that the Holy Spirit is like the first installment of the resurrection. When you receive the Holy Spirit, it's as though God is giving you a down payment and saying, here, accept this for now. It's not the full kit and caboodle, right? But a day is coming when just as I rose, raised my son Jesus from the dead, I will raise you too by the power of the Spirit. 
But now you get a little taste of that life of the age to come through the Holy Spirit. And right now we still live in that struggle, that battle between, as Paul put it, the flesh and the spirit. And he doesn't just mean our our bodies, but he means our sinful nature. Just still wrestling in this ongoing arm wrestling match between spirit and flesh, back and forth it goes. But there are those times when you know, when you, you feel it in your bones that like you're living in sync with your spirit. You know what I'm talking about? It's those moments when psychologists call it flow. When you're living in the flow of the spirit. It's those glorious moments that you wish would just always stay. We get tastes of it now. But that taste is pointing forward to the full feast at the resurrection. It's a power that we possess even now, that same power that will one day blow on your dry bones and bring them back to life. You have that power now. It's yours. You are not simply a slave or servant to your sinful flesh. You have been set free in Christ Jesus. So that's the second appetizer of the resurrection. The the first one is simply the picture that we receive, that anticipation uh, with the the story of Lazarus. The second appetizer is the power that we have, the resurrection power through the Holy Spirit. And the third taste, the third taste is the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ. It's fitting that as we have these appetizers that our Lord would actually give us something to eat. An actual something to eat. And to join that spiritual power with the physical means. Because we are both body and soul. And so he has given to us this gift of the Holy Communion. The Lord's Supper. The very body and blood of our Lord Jesus. In, with, and under simple bread and wine. We call it the real presence of Christ. The real presence You might say it, the resurrected presence of Christ, given to you and to me to eat, to digest, not merely into our stomachs, but into our souls. That's yours now. It's a gift for the forgiveness of sins, to underscore and to bring home even more that gift of the absolution, the forgiveness. But it's not only that, see. Christians through the ages have recognized that the Lord's Supper, this real presence of our Lord's body and blood, is also, it's it's the food of pilgrims. For us as sojourners, we've been talking about this in Bible study in the book of Hebrews, we're sojourners and exiles making our way toward the city that has foundations, the new creation, the resurrection of the dead. But as we are sojourners, God gives to us this gift, this food for pilgrims, even as he gave the the miraculous manna. And uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that when we um, partake in this supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It has this bent, always looking ahead and looking forward to our Lord's second coming, see? The food for pilgrims. But that's also there in our architecture. This is so cool, you guys. Um, Churches and and Christians from uh, the, the time of our Lord's rising have often oriented themselves to the east, Because it's from the east that the the resurrected Lord will come. So we learn in the scriptures. And so uh, for many churches, as it is like here for Trinity Arcadia, our church is oriented toward the east. Some churches have what they call liturgical east, which is another way of saying not east, right? (laughs) But we got the real deal here, right? (laughs) 
So when we come together to receive our Lord's body and blood, the food of pilgrims, we are also looking forward to that day when he comes again, when he raises the dead out of their graves, as we join with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, the communion of saints already in the presence of our Lord, we are partaking of that little foretaste. It's not the full feast, just a little bread, a little wine, but it's meant to leave us wanting more, because we're made for more, a more that will only fully be realized, that will fully satisfy us when Christ comes again. You know, there's one other sense in which we have this resurrection presence, not only in the, the body of Christ that we receive at the Lord's altar, but the body of Christ that you all are, see. The communion of Christ. You too are a foretaste of the feast to come. The, the church, the body of the risen Christ, you are an anticipation, a, an embodied appetizer, if you will, of our Lord's purposes in the world. And what does that mean? What, what does that look like? Well, I think what it looks like is that when we go out into the world as that kind of incarnate embodied appetizer, you and I are like little Lazaruses, see. You have already been brought through death into life, through holy baptism. We were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now imagine, imagine that we truly embrace this and held it to our hearts. What kind of freedom would you have if you knew and believed, I've died already. This life that I have, every bit of it, every, every day of it, is gravy. It's all bonus. When we live like little Lazaruses out in the world, that means that we are living with the joy and the freedom and the peace of those who know they've been brought from death to life. Now, the stakes are low because Christ Jesus has already fulfilled them on our behalf. We're able to live in, in, in freedom and peace, going out into our vocations, taking chances, taking risks, following our Lord wherever he would go because we know, we know that already the victory is his. You as the body of Christ, as the church, are Easter appetizers for your neighbors when they see, oh, wait a second, I don't have to live in slavery to the fear of death. I don't have to live oppressed by anxiety and oppressed by the darkness of the evil one. It's possible to live in that freedom of the glory of the children of God. We have that as little Lazaruses going out into the world. But also, friends, you are Easter appetizers for your neighbors, appetizers incarnate, little Lazaruses, as you go out carrying the tears of our Lord Jesus. Archaeologists have discovered that in the, the ancient world, it was not uncommon for people to collect tears in what they called tear jars. We found these, these tear jars. Then the, the tear jars, it was thought that the, the tears of those you love provided that kind of visceral connection to those who had passed on and to those especially uh, of repute. It was a, a way to connect yourself to that kind of power. Now, I don't talk about this in some corner, kind of weird superstitious sort of sense, but in a spiritual sense, you and I, as the body of Christ, we carry the tears of Christ 
into the broken places of our world. As our Lord Jesus wept with Mary and Martha in their pain, so you and I go to the places of pain and brokenness in our world. We weep with them. We carry the tears of Christ, but tears that know this life is not all there is. Tears that are able also to speak a powerful word of hope. Friends, what a gift to have an appetizer. Who doesn't love an appetizer? We've been given so much already, these foretastes of the feast to come. And you too go out into the world to be that appetizer for your neighbors. When we live lives of freedom and forgiveness, when we live lives that are not fearful, but hopeful, then the world is able to taste and see that the Lord is good and the best is yet to come. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer.